For people, whatever you do, you need to always view a core as something. If you're a leader, if you're going, man, I want to make a difference in my church, you have to either have to commit to being the core that somebody is developing right now, or you have to be committed to developing the core as God has developed you. And that's true with church plants. That's true, true with the small groups, every small group that we have. And if you're not a small group leader, you're not the training, our small groups, we, we call them leader breeders. The most important thing that our small groups do is develop leaders. We're developing a core within that group that then will take over another group and develop a core in that group. And that's how things happen exponentially when you go for, to multiplying. Then we said if you do that, understand even if you have a great core, you need to have a great core, and one of the reasons you need to have a great core is you're going to experience problems. Uh, the thing that we hear over and over again is this church planning thing is harder than we ever imagined. Uh, I was a part of a church that started in Alton, and after 18 years, I was sent out by that church, even though I never dreamed that would happen, but it was what I believe God orchestrated intentionally. And a year or about six months afterwards, I got a call from the guy that had sort of taken my slot over there, and he was kind of distraught, and he said, man, Robert, this is hard, and you made it look so much easier than it is. I don't know if I made it look easy. I don't know what he was looking at, okay, because I, you know, fumbled and bumbled. And then the church plants go out from here, and they've been, most of them, their leaders have been here for, uh, for at least two or three years. Usually they're hanging around. All of their members have experienced it. T.C. Brown uh, was like, you know, he was, he was the very center of things. And he gets out and he goes, Robert, this is hard. And I told T.C. at the time, I said, T.C., I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but T.C., you've been riding on a train but when you get out you have to pull the train and when you were riding on the train you were really vocal and supportive but uh, but you were loud anybody knows TC can go yes he was but the whistle doesn't pull the train right you were riding on a train and you were a whistle but the engine was the spirit of God and, and carry and the reason it's hard now is you've got to be more than just the whistle and the rider so it's harder you're going to have problems, so you need to make sure you're fully devoted to God. And then you're going to, if you do well, or if you don't do well, you're going to experience persecution. That has been true since the Acts Church was established and before that when Jesus came to this earth. But in Matthew chapter 5, 10, the Bible says, God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God. So Jesus says that it's your ability and my ability to continue to live through God, live for God through persecution that determines whether or not God is going to bless that plant. And one of the things that, that, that people just need to know, I was a part of a, a coaching network for a while, still have a part of the network doing things, but I, but I was coaching and one of the things that I constantly found from the people that were there, they're like, man... I'm reading all this material and it's like, man, this it's just not happening as fast, you know, you know that, and it was this illusion that we're going to raise up leaders fast and you'll be a part of a small group and, and then that small group will replicate itself. And I would always reassure them, listen, the truth is it took Jesus two years to develop his followers and we're not him. So be patient and be persistent. And you have to be patient and persistent because at some point problems, things from the inside are persecution and criticism throughout ride destroyed most of those people's groups. So this session is about how you can 
deal with persecution with your followers uh, because it's going to happen. We're just going to talk about three major things, and the last one we'll have some detail. But Wes, I mean, uh, Wes, Jake is going to, Jake is with Wes at the church plant, so, uh, but uh, Jake's going to jump in with it. And by the way, Jake is the campus minister at the our Collinsville church plant, the Crossing Collinsville church plant. He became a Christian in the, in the high school ministry of the church that I planted before we were in the Crossing. And so uh, we go back for years, and I've got the dirt on him if you want to know. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, the first thing we're going to talk about is when you're talking about persecution and how to teach your disciples, the first thing you need to do is teach the disciples to expect it. So you need to teach the disciples to expect it. Bring it up a little high. Mm -hmm. I don't preach very often. <laughs> um, you teach the disciples to expect it um, because that's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that it was going to happen. Jesus taught the disciples to because it happened to me. And when you look at churches around America, you can find out very quickly if these are churches that are actually doing God's will or not based on how the world views them. And I think so many times we're in a culture that our churches in, in, in America want to conform and fit in, like it talks about here. They want to find allegiance in the world and they want to align with the world. But Jesus made it very clear that if you're truly gonna serve him, you're truly gonna have a ministry that stands for him, you need to expect these same things. It says in John 16, 33, it says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus doesn't just drop it on his disciples. He doesn't just drop it on his ministries and be like, hey, your life's going to kind of suck. Have fun. You know, like he doesn't just sit there and let everybody know like this is what it's going to be like all the time. But he gives them some hope. He gives them this opportunity. And I think that in teaching his disciples that there was going to be persecution to expect that, he was kind of preparing them for it. He was kind of preparing them for this plan to be like, hey, you need to expect this. So you need to start planning for this now. And in teaching them that he had overcome it himself was that, I, that opportunity to, to teach them that they would too. That just because Jesus was able to overcome it doesn't mean that we wouldn't, but we'd be able to look at his example, look at his life and say, hey, Jesus was able to overcome this. We need to expect it. We need to plan for it, but we also need to have a confidence that we can deal with this just as well. Um, and I think a lot of times whenever churches or, or, or ministries or groups of people go through persecution, they're like shocked. They're like, why is the world treating us like this? Why are people being so mean to us? And I don't think that's the way that Jesus wants us to understand and experience persecution because that's not the way that he handled it. It's, it people become so surprised in persecution, but the reality is, is that God wants us to look through that and have peace and courage through the opportunity to have persecution in our lives rather than be surprised and shocked and fall apart in those windows. Uh, I mean, look at, look at what happened in, in Scripture, right? Jesus was crucified in the Gospels. And, you know, for a lot of people, they may have said, well, that's where the persecution ended, right? They finally got Jesus. They finally killed him. Well, it wasn't until Acts 4, not just four chapters later, that we start to see persecution hits the Christian church again. And we kind of did a little case study, looked through the book of Acts, and you find opposition and persecution in Acts 4, in Acts 5, in Acts 6, in Acts 7, in Acts 8, in Acts 9, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. So literally 75% of the book of Acts, you find some sort of opposition with what the ministry was doing with their lives and how successful they were doing. But the reality is that that persecution was right there next to it. And so to be naive to say we're doing so well and there's no persecution that's ever going to hit us, it's just, it's, it's not what Jesus wanted us to expect. And that's not what he wanted us to teach our ministries and our disciples to follow along with. 
Um, in 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked when you go through painful trials that are like walking through fire as though something unusual is happening to you. You know, he's, he's saying this isn't, this isn't weird. It's not strange. It's not unusual to say, hey, somebody that's not affiliated with our church, somebody who's not a part of our church doesn't like us. They're making actions against us. Don't be surprised or shocked when you see that. You know, and I think sometimes people feel offended in the church when people outside of the church don't like what we're doing. But Jesus made it very clear, don't be surprised or shocked. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will persecute it. You know, and just to finish that thought off, the reality is a challenge to you as well. If there hasn't been any persecution in your life, if there hasn't been any persecution in your ministry, Look at this verse and ask yourself, are we really trying to be a church or a ministry that is really living for God? Or are we going back up to John 18 and saying, are we kind of more trying to be allegiant with the world so we don't cause these problems? Yeah, and I think you guys, honestly, when he said expect it, it is very easy. And we've been through this because we've been a church, both in Alton here, that have been under persecution. In, at different times we wanted to show on a screen but we don't have a screen but if you'll do a search and, and it's not so much anymore but if you do a search Carrie Cox Crossings Church the first thing that will come up will be an article that was published on the cover of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch if you look at the Christian Chronicle for those of you who have a, the, a Church of Christ background look at the Christian Chronicle and do a search and you will find church uh, campus churches campus ministry may be its undoing and it's on the response to what happened on the Lindenwood campus. We also said in the article it says success at evangelism maybe it's undoing. Oh, so I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. uh, success at evangelism, and I wasn't able to find the I wasn't able to get the article that make me pay for it, and I'm cheap. And so I just tell you that I'm cheap, and tell you the article's there, and make you pay if you want to read it when you get online at the post. But the truth is that was that was in response to happen to something that happened at at Lindenwood, and it's where. At that time, Kerry lost his job. He was the head of student life and leadership. Ben was his assistant. The Ben that was here, where's Ben? Ben back here. Uh, he lost his job. We had graduate assistants that attended our church who lost their job at the same time. And the guy wrote the story. And honestly, if you read the story, it's a really pretty cool story in the Post-Dispatch. At the end, he kind of says some things about, uh, that I said in the sermon after this was going on uh, out of context a little bit. But I really believe in my heart the reason the guy did that, if he didn't put something really negative in it, you would have thought, people would have thought that this is just a, a guy who's from this church. So he wanted to make it appear balanced. But the bottom line is it was based upon lies and untruths. When Kerry was... Uh, resigned at Lindenwood, one of the most significant members of the board there said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to let them fire you, and then I want you to sue the university, and I will go to court with you, and I will testify that the things that they were saying in the articles on the student paper, which, by the way, they, I think, produced like 14 articles about our campus ministry over about eight weeks. Every week, it was just hammering, 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 hammering. And as a result, those guys lost their jobs. We had girls. We had a, a girl in a, in a wheelchair who was a member of the campus ministry who came up, you know, was getting in, and somebody's opened the door for her, and they started to hey, you're a member of that campus ministry, aren't you? And she said yes, and they dropped the door and left her standing outside. We had girls that had trash thrown them from cars at that time. Now, how did they identify them? I'll talk more about that later with, 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 the, with the trash episode. But they made some claims that were unreal. 
You know, one of the things, John Ben there, that one of the things they said that Ben went to one of the students' rooms after hours and forced himself into the room and forced himself to this person to listen to him, which really was hilarious because as you look at Ben's demeanor yesterday, he really looks like the bully who's going to push his way in, doesn't he? I mean, Ben Mullen, bully of the universe, you know. Uh, but on top of that, I said, guys, if people knew this, how stupid it was, the guy that made the claim was six foot four, weighed 270 pounds, and was an athlete. On the other side of this arena, you have, sorry, Ben, you have Ben Mullins, okay? In this corner, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, he's from Brazil, and he knows Brazilian jiu-jitsu. No, he doesn't, okay? <laughs> He doesn't know any of that, all right? It was just absolute hilarious, and, and it was based upon lies. I can't tell you who, but somebody who was with the Post-Dispatch contacted me and said, and we talked, and he said, can I let you know what's going on behind the scenes, why I think this is all going on, what's happened to your son and the ministry there? I said, yeah, I'd like to know. And he said, this is off the record. He said, I think that you had four factors that were in it. Number one, he said you had a group of people who were a matter of the progressive radical homosexual movement who hated your son. About nine months before this happened, there was a request by the Gay Straight Alliance to have a, a group on the campus. He was voted down. Kerry did not have a vote. He did have a voice, and his voice was in that meeting, and this board member, by the way, knew this. They conceded this, is go ahead and let them have that group because they're already here anyway. What they didn't know is Carrie talked to me, said, Dad, we've always, when we've had, whenever they have university fair, when they set up, we always sit next up to the Gay Straight Alliance and we just let them know that we're kind and caring and try to reach out to them. But whenever they wrote the letter that said it was rejected, Carrie's name was the one that was signed. I saw it on two of the major news stations in St. Louis and they zoomed in on the letter and on Carrie's signature. So he had a, you know, he was on the hit list already. He, he said, so that's it. Secondly, he goes, the science department hates you guys because you brought in a creationist. They had been able to block that before, but because Kerry was in the position he is, you brought in John Clayton, allowed him, and they're fuming at that, and they know Kerry is the one who enabled that. So that's it. A third thing that goes on, the third thing that he said, what have I talked about? The, uh, the science department, the... Gay Straight Alliance, he said, you also have, you have a campus chaplain who within my interacting him, and he said within 30 seconds, I knew his motive was he was jealous. Because he can't get five people come to his, to his groups that he has on campus, and you guys have 50 people driving 10 miles to be a part of any one of your groups. And then fourthly, he said, you have some people, whether rightly or not, who are members of the organizations who feel like they weren't treated right. But he said, the thing is, they all got together with different agendas, but it was all about ending this thing. And all of them got together, and that's the result, is what's going on right now. And he said, that's off the record, but that's my, that's my opinion. Now, here's the thing. It happened, and you've got to expect it. But also, when it happens, you've got to teach them it's going to happen. The second thing you teach them to do is teach your, your, your leaders to redeem it. Teach your people to redeem it. To, reme to redeem means to, to, to find value in something that has been discarded. 
Jesus redeemed the lost world. Whenever I was a kid, the way we would make money is we'd go around, we would find Coke bottles back in the day. That was the standard way. This is before aluminum became very, uh, you know, reproducible. And, 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 and so we would go, and if you found a soda bottle, then you could get it out of the mud, clean it up, and take it back. And at one point, whenever I first started doing it, it was three cents. And then you could get it for five cents later on. We get a raise. And uh, so you take it back and you have this worthless bottle that was going to be broken in the ditch. Now it becomes five cents, which you could buy. When I was nine years old, you could buy a candy bar for five cents. Not a really good name brand candy bar. Or you could buy a cherry cigar or a Swisher Sweet. And at nine years old, that was my standard fare. I'd get the cheap candy bar sometimes, or I'd go to the gas station where the pool hall was and the guy knew me. And he would sell me a cigar, and I would smoke a cigar at nine or ten years old. A useless bottle turned into a beautiful smoke. Man, that's redemption, right? It's something, taking something that had no value into something that has value. And there's some things you can do that can redeem it. In Hebrews chapter 12, 9, the Bible says this in verses 10 and 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. We've all had human fathers who discipline us and we respect them for it. They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. Hardship redeemed becomes sharing in holiness. It's really important that you get that down if you're going to plant church and you're going to church because you're going to have hardship, and if you're not careful, experiencing hardship will result in people giving up. Experiencing hardship will result in people being discouraged. But if you train them, let them know it's coming, and you teach them to redeem it, sharing in hardship can result in their becoming like Jesus and in, in sharing his holiness. I'm getting ahead of myself. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. What does discipline do? It lets us share in his holiness, but the byproduct is this. Number one, it gives you emotional stability. You get to, it, it brings a harvest of peace sexually. Secondly, it brings practical benefits that you are able to live in a right way. When it says that we might, we share in his righteousness, and we'll know how to live. So make sure they're redeeming him. And Jake, if you want to jump in there on the first thing that, that whenever we can uh, yeah. redeem, uh, how we can redeem ship, we're going to talk about just a, a couple of things, big benefits that hardship bring into our lives. Yeah, uh, one of the things that, that when you, can redeem it one of the things that can redeem is it can reveal my flaws and so in first peter 4 13 through 16 it says if you're if you're insulted because of the name of christ you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of god rests on you if you suffer it should not be as a murderer or a thief or of any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler however if you suffer as a christian do not be ashamed but praise god that you bear the name you see when 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 it can reveal your flaws, sometimes there are things that you're getting persecuted for that you probably need to look at your life and be like, yeah, I don't think I'm reflecting Christ right in that way. You guys have probably seen some churches, right, that get persecuted. I don't know, like maybe like the Westboro Baptist Church, right? They think they're doing things right for God. Um, but the reality is they're getting persecuted for some things that are very ungodly, you know. And I think it's a good indicator that when you're getting persecuted, you can't just immediately go back to Scripture and say, oh, I'm just... I'm doing this because it's just, I think, I feel, this is what God wants me to do. But the reality is, is that a lot of times if you look at your actions and we look at our church and how we, how, we, how we train our leaders and how we get persecuted, more times than not, you can also look at yourself and look at the word and say, 
maybe I'm not doing this the way that God wants me to do. Maybe part of this persecution is because of the way that I'm choosing to handle this. And one of the things the Bible talks about are being tested by fire. The imagery of tested by fire is hardship, but it's designed to bring out an impurity within you. That even if you're being persecuted, God says, here's the cool thing. I'm in charge of all this, and I'll take all this heat, and I'll turn it into something good. You'll be better when you come out of it. I had a guy one time say, well, I'm just preaching the truth. I said, no, you're just being a Turk. And there's a difference, okay? That sometimes, you know, that we're just, oh, I'm just preaching this is the truth. No, you're not. You're obnoxious. You're being ungodly. You're being unattractive. You're not preaching truth in love. What you're doing is stirring the crap. And so it can make you look at yourself, and it'll force you to. And here's the thing. If you don't allow persecution to make you better, to reveal your flaws, you'll never be successful. Because there are some things that God can only develop in you through hardship. And it's never developed in hardship unless you're allowing to look within yourself. So that's the first thing it can do. Second thing it can do, it can make me more like, it can result in me becoming like Christ. You see, becoming like Christ seems to require going through what Jesus went through. It just seems like that. If I'm going to be like Christ, I probably have to experience what he, what he went through. Generations always often have a similar way of thinking. The World War II generation, the traditionalists is what they're described as, uh, they have a very specific way of thinking. If you go on through, you can go through generation to, to generation X, to the, ba the baby booners, the, the generation Xers, the millennials, the Gen Z. Why do they all tend to think the same? Because of shared experiences. That's the truth. They share experiences, and so it, sums, it forms their thought process. So if I'm a believer and I go through what Jesus goes through while I'm in fellowship with Jesus, it can help me become like him and think of him. In James 1, 3, the Bible says, you know that under pressure your faith shows its true color, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let your hardship do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. There's a passage in the Old, script, Old Testament. I don't remember what it, what, where exactly where it is, but it says that he, he stands over his people like a refiner of silver. And there were a group of ladies that were, that were going, okay, what does that mean? He stands over his people like a refiner of silver. And so they said, hey, who wants to next week see if they can find a silversmith and ask what that's about? And so this lady went to a silversmith and she said, what, is that, what do you think he's meaning by that? And they said, well, when you're, when you're standing over the silver, you're watching to see if it's pure. And so when you watch over it, you'll see things that come up out of it that you have to remove. And she said, well, how do you know when it's really pure? How do, how do you know when it's really pure? And the, silver, the, the, the silversmith said, I, can, I know it's ready that it's really pure when I can see my reflection in it. And so that's a picture of Jesus. He's looking over you and he's not worried about your comfort. He's worried about your character. And so he's staring through this pressure and going, when am I going to let up the heat? When am I going to let off this? Well, there's some impurities that are floating to the top. And when those impurities, when we remove them, then our image can be revealed through the hardship. So it can make me more like Christ. The third thing you can do, Jake. Yeah, uh, it can also refocus me on eternity. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, it says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that will vastly outweigh them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix, our, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. 
And you know, I think a lot of times when we, when we experience persecution, there can sometimes be a hurt because of the attachment we have to this present world. You know, a lot of times we see the culture that we're in, and we find a nice, neat home in our church, and we find a, a cool little culture that we're around, and then we experience persecution that really hurts our hearts because of what we've just been so engraved into. But the reality is, is that persecution can help remind us of like, hey, this isn't meant to last forever. It's meant to refocus you on, man, this persecution reminds me that like this world does suck, you know, in the long term, and there's something so much better. We can find, we can find and experience great things here, but the reality is, is when we choose to find allegiance in those things, like it talked about, we, we lose that focus and that sight on eternity. And that persecution is really truly supposed to help us really look at our lives and look at eternity. In Matthew 5, 10 through 12, it says, God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God. The kingdom of heaven will be theirs. You'll be blessed when you insult pe when when people insult you, and not not when you insult. You big people. loser! I know. <laughs> praise God! <laughs> you know, hey, um, lousy minister. Yeah, exactly. We're getting good waiting on here. the blessing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'll be blessed when people insult you, and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evils against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then again in 1 Peter 4.13 it says, Be joyful that you are taking part in Christ's sufferings. Then you will be filled with joy when Christ returns in his glory. You see, persecution is all about remembering and refocusing on what really matters. And what's going on on this earth in the midst of persecution is not what really matters. What really matters is our hearts and how we respond to that and, and really drawing us back to the ministry of God and what he's wanting us to, to learn from persecution. Yeah, like we focus when we have persecution. Well, they don't like me, but my Father in Heaven does. Mm -hmm. Well, they're trying to take everything from me, but my Father in Heaven won't let that happen. I'm feeling miserable right now, but in eternity, God will make me feel joyous and blessed. It really does make you go. Sometimes, whenever I was watching the ministry, Ben and, and Steve and all of our guys and our people, our campus ministry go through that, it was hard for me. It's hard when you can't fix things as a parent or as a pastor, as somebody who's shepherding people. Man, it's so hard. And it made me, it made me go, man, it's, this world's not my home. My home's in heaven. And I won't have that perfect home until I get to heaven. But God promises that, and because of that promise, I can endure for a while. So teach your, teach your, yourself and your leaders to redeem it. Remind them it can show it can reveal their flaws, it can result in becoming like Christ, and it can refocus them on eternity. And make sure because it's gonna happen. And if you if, if it happens, redeem it. Don't just let it be a bunch of junk. And then finally, the the, the way that we uh, that we make sure that we are uh, responding properly is that we teach the disciples how to respond to it. Now, with this one, it's kind of a, a case study, and I, I threw this in on Jake late, and so, but I want us to go, okay, obviously this whole thing, we're trying to kind of teach people how to respond to it, but what about right when it's going on? And so this is a little case study. In Acts 8, chapter uh, 1, the Bible says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. So Stephen is stoned, and when Stephen is stoned, it, breakens, it opens the dam for all the other people to persecute and now for Christians to become fair game. And so here's the thing, that's going to happen. And if you're in a leadership position, it is really important that if you're a leader, 
to know that you're going to be imitated. And if you freak out and become discouraged, so will they. But if you are faithful and become determined, they will be also. So in the book of Acts, one of the very first times that we see persecution and hardship for a believer because of the gospel begins in Acts chapter 4. And so here's, let me, let me give you three things we're going to be in that passage, Acts 4, that just on a practical, when it's going on, how do you deal with it? Number one, respond by staying on purpose. Respond on purpose. Respond by staying on task, however you want to say it. Respond on purpose. When Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so a number of believers, now totaling about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So they preach, and really good things are happening, and a persecution occurs. Again, natural. When good things are going on, Satan is going to step in. The next morning, they are pulled before the, this group of religious leaders who have the power, by the way, to execute them. And they're asked questions, and Peter's response comes like this, beginning in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the man that was healed was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. How are you doing these things? Why are you doing it? He said, let me be perfectly clear about what happened. And he's being perfectly clear about what happened. He's being perfectly clear about what his purpose is. His purpose is to proclaim the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. This happened because of Jesus. And I'm glad you're giving me a chance to talk about it. And then verse 11, he says, for Jesus is the one referred to in Scripture. I'm not making this stuff up. It's not just because of this man was healed. This is not just a, a, a kind of strange thing. And, and he's healed, and I'm saying it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that's referred to in Scripture. Again, responding on task, responding on purpose. He, was, he is referred to in Scripture for it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There's no salvation. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Response on task. We want you to shut up. My purpose is to stand up and share the message of Jesus. So when persecution comes, don't respond based upon your, 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 your emotions. Don't respond based upon how you feel. Don't respond on whether you think it's fair. Respond on purpose. What you were before the persecution, you were after the persecution. You hear me? Your purpose is to reach the lost. At Lindenwood, whenever they all this went on and the first article broke, it was an amazing thing to see how they stayed on task. You realize that in that entire time, we didn't lose a single person who walked away because of God from God because of the persecution. And they continue to reach people.
because they continue to proclaim. They didn't cut back their cross chats. They didn't stop their activities. They couldn't do them on campus anymore. So they set up at AutoZone when they did events, which was right next to the campus. AutoZone didn't like Lindenwood, and Lindenwood like, didn't like AutoZone. AutoZone had tried to buy. Uh, they tried to buy AutoZone, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't sell because they liked it there. And so Lindenwood didn't enforce parking regulations the way that they should with AutoZone. So there was a mutual dislike for each other. And in the middle of that, could we do our events there? And they were like, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> respond on purpose. Number two, secondly, respond by staying united. Don't allow persecution to result in division. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? It wasn't just a man problem, it was a these men problem. And if we're going to be persecuted, it ought to be a these men and women problem, not an a man and woman problem, right? What should we do with these men, they ask each other. We can't deny that they perform a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading the proper, their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in the name of Jesus again. Now here's the thing, persecution always has its root. Satan, and Satan's reason is always to stop you from speaking the name of Jesus. The goal is always to stop the message from spreading. That's why it's essential that you stay on purpose, because it is on purpose that you're being persecuted. So the, Paul the Apostle called the apostles back in and commanded them to never speak again or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what were they, the Bobsy twins, synchronized apostles or something? Their mouths are not moving, obviously, at the same time, but it's Peter and John who are responding. They are so united that it's one voice. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen. It's an us and we. And don't allow persecution to make it a, a you and they. That's what will happen if you don't stay on purpose. And if you get the idea that because somehow you're persecuted, you must be doing something wrong. What these guys knew is they were persecuted because they did something right. And they saw Jesus be right all the time and die. Now, redeeming it, if you're being obnoxious and your problem is that you're not just teaching truth, but you're the turd I was talking about before. You're the turd in the gospel bowl. That's not a good thing, okay? But there's times when you need to know we're undergoing something wrong because we did something right and stay united. Acts 4.23 says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. It was we in the room, and as soon as they got out, it was we of the church that's going to share this persecution and what's happening. And then finally, respond with prayer and praise. When they heard the report... All the believers, all the believers, the day that the article broke at Lindenwood, word got out among our campus students that there was this very harsh article attacking both them and their leaders, Ben and Kerry, and that all it was, it by the way, it was the only time in the 10 years that we'd been there, nine years at that, eight years, something like that, that they went to the dorms and handed out the papers. 
and at the cafeteria as they came in, handing them out. Here, want a paper, want a paper. Our leadership was unfazed in going, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we don't forget our purpose. But an amazing thing happened among the campus students. They called and they text each other. So whenever they came together in the student center, what Carrie didn't know, and I don't think Ben knew either, is that they all came together and they all went back. They found out what clothes they had on. They changed and they came back with a campus ministry shirt on together. It was we. It was us. It wasn't they and you. And they ended up making a shirt. At the time, I was a little conflicted about it, but it was a shirt. Lindenwood, by the way, they're, they're, they're the lions. Daniel was asked to bow down, many people believe, before a golden lion. And they made a shirt, and it was really a cool shirt. It reminded me a little bit of what Jonathan showed the other night before. But it was a group of people before the lion that's on the Lindenwood campus, a group of students, and all of them were bowing down to the lion, except one student, and it said they were standing up, and you could read ACB. That was our campus ministry. And our students wore that, saying, you can all bow down, but we won't. And they got together and began to pray and fast and praise. When, the, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. O sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by your Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry and why did they waste their time, uh, time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in teaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power, many miraculous signs and wonders to be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of the Lord with boldness. Don't pray that it'll get easier. Pray that you'll get stronger. Don't pray for lighter loads. Pray for stronger backs. Don't pray that the critics will become silent. Pray that you will outshout them and outcommunicate them. It's going to come. So get ready. In 1 Peter 4, 16, the Bible says, listen, it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. This is a New Living Translation. It's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Instead, thank God for the privilege of being called by his holy name. We will never be praised by our culture. But when we are persecuted and stand up faithfully, we are praised by our Christ. And that's who we're performing for anyway, right? Amen. All right. We got about three minutes here or four that if there are questions that you guys want to ask, you can. Which one you want? Is there one? Yes, one for audience. Okay. So if you have questions, we can you know, spend a little bit of time answering those. And whether it's a specific about where you're at or what's going on here. 
or what the scripture said, we can talk about that. Anybody? Got one over here, all right. So I have a question surrounding the point about response. And it's kind of in regard to, like as we're teaching disciples how to respond to this and how we're learning how to respond to this, like how much attention to give it when it happens on like the, kind of like the surface level. So for example, Brent at RSU was removed from campus and it was like very blatant intention from administration. And so I work at a nonprofit in Claremore and my coworkers are like, you know, it wasn't like published, but it's like obvious that Brent now no longer has access to campus. And they're like, well, what happened? And so, I mean, from my, you know, perspective and just out of honesty, like it would just be like, you know, spiritual attack, persecution, the vice president has a distaste for Brent and like XYZ happened. Is that the appropriate response for someone who's maybe not like involved, like a community member, like what? Like we know Brent's doing this and now he's not. Why, you know, why is that? I'd say, you know, as far as your ministry goes and your church and your leaders, I think you should be very transparent. I think when it comes to people in the world, there may be a little more discernment there. But, you know, for me, for example, for like a case study on me, like when everything happened at Lindenwood, I was actually a college student at our other campus ministry in Illinois. And I was like that typical annoying freshman college student that you have. You know, I didn't know anything. And all I hear is everything's going on. And I know Carrie, I know that ministry over there. But it was very transparent to us as young college students and everything they talk about how to respond to it within our ministry. I learned very quickly, like, I want, I want to go help them. I want to support them. And there was actually one day that they had to go in and do a hearing. And our Illinois students drove out to Missouri and we stood outside and there was probably over 100 college students out there. And it's cool now because, like, I never thought when I was a freshman that, like, I was going to become a campus minister, let alone be at the campus ministry, you know, the college that I'm at now. Um, but I think a lot of things that I had learned through that transparency, and I think sometimes churches have that idea of like, we need to keep this quiet in our small like leadership group and nobody needs to know. And I think if you, if you expose that to your college students so they see the transparency, you'll see a, a greater response of unity like these things say. But I think you know, there's some discernment as well with, with the community different. Yeah, I think Jake is exactly right. If you look at Acts 4 again, going back to Scripture, always for that model, you see Peter responding to people who are outsiders. Uh, he's, but he responds to the outsiders that he's directly involved in. You don't see him going out and bringing it up in a sermon later on. As a matter of fact, it never comes up out of, outside of the context of that. And that's a pretty good pattern through whether it's before the Areopagus, later on with the Gentiles alone, or between these people who are primarily Jewish, that they'll answer the critics. And if you look and see, they're not, they're not shy. Dude, read that section. There's no wonder they didn't like him because, you know, hey, by the way, the chief builders rejected God's stone. Who are you guys? Oh, yeah, you guys are chief builders. Ah, that's you. So, you know, I mean, it really is fairly straight. A lot of times we want to act as if, you know, that, that the, the apostles just timidly sort of said, well, we'll just consider your... No, they, they, are, they are very clear. They don't go and try to, to answer the world. And that was one of the things that we had a struggle with. The guy that said, hey, Carrie, why, I, I think you ought to resign and you'll sue them. Uh, we considered that uh, initially whenever we connect the, the Alliance Freedom uh, group, if you figure they're a group of religious people who are lawyers who defend religious freedoms. Initially, they heard the case, heard about it, and said, no, we can't do it because you're on a private university. 
But before very long, we got a call back saying, hey, we want to represent you and we want to take this to court because it was, it was obvious that what was going on was about religious freedom. But to do that would mean to lose our ability to work on the campus in any way. And it would become all about that. So we decided that Kerry would resign his, his position. He had three months support. And we got our church together within a week of that night and said, hey, listen, we've got to come up with a salary for Kerry to be able to survive. And a church at that time of maybe three, two or three hundred, I don't even remember what it was, I couldn't tell you, came up with the, the $50,000 they needed to support him and he's never went back off staff. And the reason he started there again is they approached Kerry and said, hey, will you be our campus minister, our, our, our student of lead live, because you obviously know how to do things about getting students motivated. And it was strange because it was the time whenever as a church plant, we were going in the hole a few thousand dollars each month. I had a $10,000 credit card debt from buying things for the church that the church couldn't afford. And I couldn't afford them either, but they, we needed them. And so that's what, had to, what I felt like had to happen. But again, address it very openly with, with the ones that are there. And you will find out that, that you'll find unity in that. Man, these guys coming over meant the world. We got letters from people across the nation saying, dude, you guys hang in there, hang in there. Hang in there. There's podcasts that went on that we didn't even know, Carrie, because I realized there's this video, this podcast. They're talking about us, and it, the religious people were aligning and supporting us in ways that was really encouraging. It was still really hard, really, really hard. But so I would be very honest with your followers because that's how you train them. You know, Jesus is very honest about what he's going on when he says to his disciples, remember he pulls them away in the garden and says, I'm, I, am, I am distressed to the point of death. A lot of us as leaders ago, I can't tell my followers that. No, he was acknowledging where he was and he was showing them how to respond to it. You get a group of people, you pull in together, you stay united and you pray and you trust God. So be very open with your church. Be very kind but clear with the people that are the critics that, you're, that are addressing you when you have that opportunity, but don't worry about the world. Yeah, we're uh, there. I think they're doing lunch, so we could. Yeah, are they going to need to be in here? They're going to eat in here. Okay, is there one like somebody had a question up here? I thought we'll throw one there. Is there? Okay, all right. We're going to pray, and we're going to pray for the food, so you guys don't have food that you choke on. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the group here, and Father, thank you for the truth in your word. It helps guide us. Father, thank you for Jake, and uh, Jake's done a great job over, I think, in uh, in uh, at SIU Edwardsville, and the way that he interacts with the with the people over there and the staff and. Uh, the way he deals with criticisms and persecution from those guys. He's done a great job, Father. I'm thankful for him and all that you're doing. And God, I pray that what we've said has been helpful uh, to the people that are here, Father, that uh, maybe they'll tuck it away because in, in their file, uh, mental file, and Father, they, they're thinking, yeah, someday. And then whenever it happens, these things will come forward because they're obviously God from you. And I believe they're the key to our being able to be successful in the midst of persecution. Thank you again for Jesus and him being the example that taught us all this stuff. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.